get a special treat here this morning. Uh, the Reverend John Kraft, uh, who is our campus minister over at uh, Rhodes College, is here today to share the words. Many of us know John and love him and Lee and his kids whenever they come to join us here. Uh, but if you're not familiar with RUF, it is a special, uh, a special opportunity that our churches do, our denominations do, to, to put folks like uh, John on campus to love and serve uh, students in a time of a lot of turmoil and transition and questions. Um, and so we're so glad for what he does. Um, they were just in this space on Friday night doing a barn dance. And so John promised me he'd start today's sermon with a little wow. demonstration yes. of what they worked on last <laughs> Friday. So if you would, welcome John as he uh, leads yes. us in God's uh, it's good to be here this morning. I will spare you all any sort of dancing from myself. Uh, I know. Um, but I do want to just thank you all again. Uh, John Crosby, who's the RUF campus minister at University of Memphis, we do a, a barn dance every fall. And uh, this is the second year in a row we've used this space. And, and so we really appreciate uh, you all letting us be here. We had, uh, and I think Ben and maybe a few others, uh, we tried to send some videos around, but uh, you know, 200 plus college students in here, line dancing, square dancing uh, from Memphis and Rhodes. It was really fun, and uh, we really thank you all for letting us use uh, this space. Um, it's like probably, I have, I've actually had a couple Rhodes students say they're not going to go abroad next fall uh, because they don't want to miss next year's barn dance, which is really fun. So as I, uh, as I come to this passage, uh, I'm going to pray in a second and then read God's word. Uh, but just to let you all know, uh, obviously, uh, you all have not been going through Isaiah, and so we're going to be reading Isaiah 65. And, and, and I think uh, we're going to talk about something like the new heavens and new earth. And I think if you're a Christian or not a Christian here this morning, uh, I, I'm really glad you're here because I think this is a topic, uh, the heavens, uh, what happens, you know, at the end of times and things like that that have... You know, there's just a lot of info out there and a lot of, I think, uh, kind of myths and things that the popular culture has kind of talked about. And we've kind of lived in sort of a Christian culture, post-Christian culture for a while. And so there's all sorts of different ideas. And, and, uh, and so I'm really glad that you're here to at least hear uh, what the Bible has to say about those things and about our hope. And so in Isaiah 65, uh, this was written... Um, you know, for the remaining Israelites after they had been exiled uh, about a rebuilt Jerusalem. And they would be excited and looking forward to Jerusalem, their, their city being rebuilt uh, at some point in time. You know, a people dispersed coming back together. But as we see, obviously, in later books of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, uh, that while the city was rebuilt, things remained broken. And they had great hopes, uh, but things still remained unfulfilled. And they still had several shattered dreams and, and a lot of suffering. And so we have a lot of themes here of, of hope, uh, of, of things not being what we expected, and, and still hoping for more, still wanting more, and the kind of longing for something new. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray, and I'll read God's Word. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, as we look at something that might seem sort of mystical or supernatural, I pray that... This morning that your Holy Spirit would make it real to our hearts and our lives, uh, that we would be able uh, to walk out of worship um, into the world uh, with true and certain and great hope, Lord. And I pray that that would be on our hearts this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. Isaiah 67, uh, 65, verses 17 through 25. For behold... 
I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So, so I'm actually excited. One of the things that's exciting about getting to preach to church and not to college students is I get to use uh, examples of old music, uh, although I don't consider it old, but my college students consider it old. And uh, last week, I was uh, listening to the radio, and uh, U2's a song came on. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I was listening to it again, kind of, you know, just sort of enjoying the fact that uh, this band that had, you know, that has sort of a lot of Christian themes in their music actually has this song that was a number one hit uh, out there and that it's still being played, you know, 30 years later uh, on, on kind of local radio. And one of the things that's interesting is one of the lyrics of that song is, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, lead into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross and all my shame, all my shame. Uh, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. And, and uh, you know, 30, 30 some odd years ago when the song was written, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, for I guess a short history lesson for some of y'all, uh, this got you two into all sorts of trouble and kind of like the, I don't know, Christian youth group world. Uh, as like this cool band that a lot of like evangelical Christians and, and youth groups sort of liked because they, they kind of had this, a lot of Christian themes and, you know, youth leaders liked using them in their talks and things like that. Uh, but here we have, you know, talking about the gospel and then, you know, Bono saying that, that he still hasn't found what he's looking for. And to many, uh, I remember, uh, you know, hearing talks on this and things, uh, it seemed kind of unchristian. However, actually, I think the opposite true. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I see this as probably you two's most, you know, overtly Christian song. You know, because having this longing that, that the gospel is great, but yet I still long for something else that I have not yet experienced in this life. I'm still, you know, have not found exactly what I'm looking for. You know, is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 8. You know, about the creation groaning. And kind of the entire spirit of the New Testament as they await the return of Jesus. And, and it goes to show that Christianity is not, you know, become saved. And then life is just grand. That life is now, you know, milk and cookies, warm fuzzies, everything's great. You know, especially if you just have enough faith. You know, things will just, you know, work out. You know, no, Christianity is actually honest about the fallenness 
and the difficulty of this life and how hard it is to have faith. You know, when life stinks, when the world seems terrible, when everything seems corrupt and fallen and broken. And this passage this morning is an answer to this longing about whether we will ever stop hurting, whether the world will ever feel right, whether we will actually ever find what we're looking for. And, and it's saying that, yes, complete fulfillment, complete joy, that glory is coming, but it will not come in full until the new heavens and the new earth, that it won't come to our lives with, with good grades, you know, with graduating, with a good job, you know, with a six or seven figure salary. It, it won't come with finding the one, you know, or having two and a half kids in the white picket fence, you know, with achieving artistic, you know, fame or respect, you know, with your team finally winning the championship, that it won't come with any of those things. You know, and for many of you, you know, in a much serious way, you want to no longer be scarred, you know, by the abuse or, or the oppression you feel, the abuse you suffered in your past by even your family or people you loved or someone you dated or that hurt or rejected you. You don't want to feel lonely or abandoned anymore. And you find that though you have begun to experience some healing from a lot of these things, there are still deep, deep scars and hurts and traumas in your life. And what the Bible says to you is that complete fulfillment and freedom from all pain will only finally come when Jesus returns and brings back, brings with it the new heavens and the new earth. And so let's quickly look at how wonderful the new heavens and the new earth will be. Uh, the former things will not be remembered. Now, this does not, you know, mean that we will, like, forget everything. Um, you know, this is not a weird sci-fi movie where our memories have been erased or something like that. And no, this is saying the old ways, the junk, the scars from your life, the past sins, the regrets... Basically, everything in your life and in this world that keeps you from being fully human and fully happy and filled with joy, that all that stuff will be gone. That all the bad stuff in your past will no longer have any effect on your present. You know, verse 19 says that you will no longer hear weeping or the cry of distress. In other words, emotional hurts and scars no longer have effect. There will be no more emotional pain you will no longer hear anyone weeping. There will also be no cries of distress. No physical hurt will come your way, especially through others or through sickness or illness. There will be no more physical pain. You will never again feel like your mind or your body is fighting against you. And, of course, there will be no more death. And, and now many of us, because we live in America, you know, and, and especially to my college students who are younger, uh, they have not experienced, you know, being, being surrounded by death. Whereas the time of this passage was written, everyone would have seen uh, all sorts of death. They'd have been suffering from exile, all sorts of horrible, horrible things. You know, and, and even this, in this time, any woman who was pregnant saw death as a distinct possibility. A very large possibility. 
Yet even in our modern times, obviously death is here. You know, and death makes us very uncomfortable. You know, people are very awkward at funerals. You know, I think it's why we're so obsessed with death in all of our TV shows. You know, everything on, uh, I always joke about how everything on TV are either, you know, shows about murder or shows about hospitals. You know, where life and death is always kind of the thing that we can kind of, you know, experience, but sort of in bites and sort of detached a little bit. You know, or look at even stuff like horror movies or Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, all trying to guess like who will die next and how obsessed we are with what character will die. You know, we're obsessed with death because nobody wants to talk about it. You know, and yet, as, as I grow older, you know, death is there. And I speak, especially, you know, with children, with people I respected. You know, and we suffered our own at Rhodes with a student who passed away a couple years ago. And this is why verse 20 is so powerful to me. You know, because uh, just even in the recent years, we've had four friends lose infant children. And many more, including Lee and me, experienced several miscarriages. And yet, this prophecy is saying there's going to be a time where no one dies in a nursing home alone or outlives everyone they love and where infants will live. You know, I long for a place where after 100 years there's been no age, where I can run and jump. You know, and, and touch the rim of a basketball goal like I could when I was 18 or 19. You know, where I don't see my friends pass away from cancer or from sickness or from sudden accidents. Further, it will be an unspeakably wonderful, happy place because sin's curse will not be on creation anymore. You know, it's a return to the paradise of Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden. You know, and this is where I kind of want to begin attacking sort of our conception, or at least a common conception uh, that I hear, um, of heaven. You know, because where the Bible talks about the new heavens and the new earth. You know, because if you view pop culture, you know, even just grew up on like, you know, cartoons, you know, you know you'll kind of have this place where, you know, think of heaven as this place where we sit on clouds, wearing white robes, kind of playing harps. You know, and, and I... As a kid, I remember seeing all this, and I'm like, I want no part of that. You know, I want no part of that. And I once, uh, I once said this in one of my talks, and uh, I forgot that I had a couple music majors that played the harp. They were very offended when I said I didn't want any part of uh, playing harps in heaven for forever. So besides professional harpists out there, uh, you might be offended uh, that, uh, that I would be bored playing the harp. Uh, for me... You know, uh, for, some of the, for some of you, it, it will be, you know, as musicians, playing music forever. But for those of us who aren't musically talented, it will be doing something else forever. And, and just having this sort of kind of spirits up in the clouds is a terrible view of what the new heavens and new earth will be. The new heavens and new earth are a very physical place, as physical as the world is now. You know, that, that we will be here, something like Memphis and something like Rhodes College will be here when Jesus returns. That we're going to have actual physical bodies where we can touch each other and hug each other and do things physically. While the Bible teaches that when we die now, our souls go to be with Jesus in heaven, our souls will be given new bodies here on earth when Jesus returns. And we will come back down to earth and be given, again, new bodies like Jesus was given a new body when he was raised from the dead. Notice how the risen Jesus ate fish, could be hugged and touched. 
yet it was new. There was something different. People didn't always immediately recognize Jesus. It was also not, you know, the, the, ma- the mashed up suffering body of the cross. So the new heavens and new earth are a very physical reality. It's not a bunch of ghosts. This is why verse 21 through 23 are so key, that we will have relational and vocational harmony, that we will be happy in our homes. We will not have family dysfunction or brokenness anymore. We will have friendships that last and are intimate and are meaningful. We will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. In other words, we will have work that we absolutely love, that, we will, that, that Sundays will be great, but Mondays will be even greater because we'll be getting up to go to work and we'll be so excited. That's what the new heavens and new earth will be like, that we'll be doing what we were called to do and made to do and love it. You know, it'll be meaningful. We'll see all the meaning and all the fruit from our labors all the time and be aware of how we're blessing and loving people at whatever God has called us to do. And in relationships and work, we'll have security, says verse 22. We will long enjoy our work. We will not fear thieves, banks, bills, landlords, or an army coming to take our stuff away. We'll live very much as we live now, but there will be zero fear. There'll be zero sin. There'll be no failure. You know, everything good about this life coming with us into the new heavens and the new earth. You know, Revelation 21, if you want to read it sometime, talks about the kings bringing their glory, that all the different kings of all the different cultures in the history of the world bringing their glory into the new heavens and to the new earth. We're going to have the best of everything come into the new heavens and the new earth. All the beauty and good in this world will come with us. The greatness in arts, in music, in athletics, in science, in all the areas that my Rhodes students study, in all the different vocations that y'all are in. You know, in video games, in fashion, everything will come with us. You know, and, and I always joke about Rhodes. You know, Rhodes architecture will probably still be there. It's pretty good. Cafeteria food, I think, will be improved. But, you know, uh, thinking about my college students, the atmosphere and relationships will be vastly different. It will actually be a stress-free environment. Everyone will be at peace. There will be no tension, no sexism, no racism, no hatred of any kind will exist. People will not use each other or envy each other's gifts. We'll work together to bring good into the world and to encourage each other. We see this in the passage, you know, represented uh, by typical enemies, represented here by the wolf and the lamb, who will actually live in harmony. That enemies will no longer feel distant or foreign from each other, like the lion or the ox. That we will know each other intimately. And, and again, creation will no longer be cursed. You see, we're not... Uh, we're not being Christian when we see the world and creation as evil in any way. You know, we're actually being Platonists. And, and often when Christians are trying to have some sort of, or come to worship or trying to have some sort of spiritual or body experience in this life, they tend to want to spiritually escape. But that's not actually practicing Christianity. You know, they're being sort of Gnostic, uh, you know, or Platonists. When Jesus returns, you know, he's not adding stuff to God's creation. He's renewing it. He's bringing out the goodness of what is there more fully. And, and so when we worship, we're actually asking God to make this place more real, to make his spirit and his truth more real in our lives here on earth for him to come down to us. You know, the Hebrew for new in the new heavens and new earth here in Isaiah does not mean brand new. 
but means renewed. Creation made right the way it was supposed to be. And so what that means is, for us, Christian life is sort of living in this weird place today, in a state of kind of the already uh, and the not yet. Already experiencing the gospel, already experienced union with Christ, but not fully realized. We get moments, we get tastes, we get first fruits, but it means there's still going to be, in our everyday life, a longing, a groaning. That this world is one of suffering mixed with joy. And so we cannot be called as Christians to be kind of triumphalistic, you know, knowing that, like, that in our lifetime, the world can be made completely right without Jesus returning. You know, and often cultures believe, you know, every culture seems to believe that they're going to usher in some golden age. You know, or cultures think that we need to get back to some previous golden age. But that's not good. So the Bible calls idolatry. And where power resides, usually Christianity dies when it tries to gain power in this world. Yet where Christians are persecuted and oppressed is typically where growth happens. And so we can't be triumphalistic, but also Christians shouldn't be cynical or pessimistic. The world is going to be made new. There, there is no sense that the world is just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, it's, it's, there's suffering, but there's also joy. There's injustice, but there's also love. There's death, but there's also life. There's laughter, but there's also tears. You know, that, that the world is getting better as well. And we have to remember that. Uh, Nicholas Kristof wrote this article two years ago for the New York Times um, in the midst of sort of political and cultural despair going on on all sides of the spectrum. And he wrote this, uh, this column called Why 2017 Was the Best Year in Human History. Now, again, he was not putting aside all the horrible things, you know, and, and all the, the despair that people were having. But he was wanting to point out, hey, there's some good stuff going on, too. You know, and I know that local news is like 30 minutes of bad stuff and maybe two minutes of a feel-good story. And he was like, I want to focus on the two minutes of the feel-good for a little while. And so I think as Christians, we also need to open our eyes and celebrate the goodness of today as well as condemning the bad. That Christians should want to share good news all the time, not just the bad news. That they should be wary of progress, knowing the world is still sinful, but being excited about progress as well. You know, and realizing that things like the internet and the iPhone have been amazing things that have brought a lot of good uh, as well as a lot of bad. You know, that, that all sorts of things have good and bad. And one of the things that I've noticed um, being sort of like, I don't know, doing a lot of like art culture seminars with high schools and things, uh, doing college ministry and youth ministry for the last 20 years. And one of the things I always try to do is engage in culture and we'll watch something. And I've always been sort of saddened by the fact uh, that Christian students typically like are very quick to point out all the bad all the ways that this art, you know, did not tell truth or did not live up to things. But oftentimes, uh, they did not, they, then when I ask, okay, well, what's positive about this? What's great about this? Where does this show the image of God? Where does this reflect truth? And I would get kind of silence. And so I think as a Christian culture, we need uh, to not be so pessimistic. That we need to be excited about the world and, and about the, the happiness and the beauty uh, of humanity and that we are creating the image of God and all these things and celebrate that. And so it means sort of this sort of already not yet means expecting less from this world to complete you. You know, that, 
that longing we have for completeness, for glory, knowing that it's, it's not going to come completely until Jesus returns. But we can have real hope today because Jesus is and has, has promised to return. And he has promised to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And hope matters. You know, every major story that we've read shows this. You know that when, whether it's, you know, Marvel movies, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you know, take your pick of whatever story. When characters are given hope, they transform. When characters are given hope, they begin to work to make the world a better place. And finally, God will be fully revealed to us in the new heavens and new earth. While it was revealed to us in Christ, many of us here, as we actually just sang about, are waiting to see Christ's face, to feel his embrace, to fully realize that he's with us, to no longer need faith. And here we get that as well. Verse 24, we have intimate language here about us and God. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. You know, using poetry here to convey intimacy, like a friend or spouse who can end your sentences for you because they know you so well. This kind of intimacy, that we will live in a city where God is with us and we see him face to face. You know, many of us have had great times of worship or, or great times, you know, maybe either out doing something devotionally or kind of having some sort of retreat or, or a great time with friends where we just feel this moment uh, of, of joy that we can't express and, and that, that Puritans and, and Reformers would call kisses from God. Sort of these times where God really becomes real to us in that moment. And in the new heavens you are, that will be at all times. That will never go away. That, that at all times we'll feel more love than we could ever imagine. You know, in a way that the core of our being cries out for. In a way that will never let us doubt again that we are beloved and worthy and that we matter. And the new heavens, new earth, the metaphor the Bible uses throughout is that it will be a party. That it will be a feast, that it will be a celebration, that it will be a wedding. You know, and it won't be like so many of the parties that I've gone to where, where people are kind of insecure, or at least I am, where people, you know, can't, don't know if they can really be themselves. That they're, they're, we kind of have to sort of have a superficial level of phoniness where people, you know, don't, aren't completely enjoying fellowship and really nervous. And, and who is that? And, you know, can I go and talk to those people or not? All those sorts of things. No, it's like the best kind of party where everybody's having a great time and are, are full of joy. Where, where everybody's invited. Nobody feels weird being there. A party for all peoples and all cultures where food is plentiful and all your friends are there. You know, no one made other plans and isn't showing up. Where even people, you know, heard about it, came in where no one feels awkward. Where people come and they instantly belong and their hearts are made glad. Where they know they're loved and secured. This is the kind of new heavens, new earth party that Jesus is bringing. That this is what the new heavens and new earth will be like. Surrounded by all of our friends, or those who are going to become our friends very quickly, working and creating and playing and drinking and eating and doing it all for eternity. Completely happy, completely free of shame and guilt. 
and knowing deeply in the core of our hearts that we belong and that we are treasured by the God of the universe. So how can we read this passage and get a bunch of people in robes playing harps on clouds, being like Casper the ghost? Even with all these pictures, I think we still don't get it. Uh, I remember uh, back when I was in college, we heard kind of a, you know, some, some uh, one of our, probably our campus minister or, or somebody did a, a Bible study on the new heavens and new earth and, and Jesus returning. And I remember going to Waffle House that night and eating. And, uh, and we were actually, it's funny, praying in a Waffle House, which is interesting. We were having a prayer group in a Waffle House. But my engaged friend in college, we were praying and somebody was praying about the new heavens and new earth and Jesus come. And then right after him, my engaged friend actually prayed, Jesus, I know that... I know that, you know, Bob just prayed about you coming back, but can you just wait till about three months after the wedding? Just, just wait just a little bit for you to come back. And, and I think that's the same way. And for those of you, you know, who have expected children or, uh, like, are finishing a great, like, project, either in your work or in art or, or, or writing something that you just haven't finished, there's all sorts of things that we have out there that are like, you know, we want Jesus to return, but maybe just after we finish that or after we get to experience that. And what that shows about us is that we don't get the new heavens and earth. We don't understand just how amazing it will be. You know, it's hard for us to realize that the deep intimacy and pleasure, the things like friendship and, and completing, you know, work well done or, or that marriage can bring or that, that parenting, seeing your kids grow old can bring, all the good things or, or the great entertainment can bring is nothing compared to what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, take your greatest joys, the best parts of your life. You know, when someone told you they loved you, and you know they actually meant it. Some great aesthetic or sublime experience with the work of art. The joy of a job well done. You know, feasting and drinking at a party with friends where you were totally able to be yourself. Being told you really matter by somebody that you've greatly impacted their life. Some great conversation that you have with a person who knows you the most in the world and loves you. You know, scoring the winning touchdown, coming from behind to win a race. You know, the hike with friends and that unbelievable view. You know, the one moment in your life where you're actually at peace with who you are. Holding a newborn baby. You know, the day your parents or siblings actually loved you the way you wanted them to for once. The day you looked in the mirror and said, not bad, not bad. The day you were so happy you momentarily forgot about the abuse or the scars or the troubles in your life. And you felt safe. Whatever those wonderful, amazing moments, that is what the new heaven, new earth will be except it'll be greater because it'll be experiencing those moments continuously all the time and for eternity. The best forever. These moments that you've experienced in life, the greatest moments of your life are just but a foretaste for those who believe in Jesus. And I just want to deal with one more issue as we close because often this is what I hear from students and, and other things, that Christianity 
with all that is not just the cliche of like, cliche of like wait until heaven. It will get better. No, salvation is much more than that. And this Christian life is much more than that. You know, all the modern philosophers and, and their thoughts are wrong. You know, Marx is wrong. Religion and Christianity is not an opium of the masses. There's, you know that. If you're a Christian, you know it's not easy. Freud is wrong. It's not wish fulfillment. Nietzsche is wrong. The Christianity is not for the weak. You know, following Jesus is difficult. And looking all over the New Testament, it comes with suffering. Every single book of the New Testament is full of suffering. You know, the new heavens and the new earth is not a doctrine that keeps us on the sidelines and makes life less meaningless now where we're just looking forward at all times. It actually is a doctrine that pushes us out into the culture, into creating and serving. It's, it's also not a false hope or a deluded hope. It's a certain hope. But this passage gives us even more than that. Because while at times, you know, I can feel like my life is meaningless, if the world is not temporary but eternal, if the physical world really matters, everything we do today has infinite importance. It has ultimate meaning. Everything we do matters. You know, again, I already talked about Revelation 21, that the good we do in the present will come with us into the future of the new heavens and new earth. Uh, at the beginning of your, uh, your little uh, your pamphlets or brochures, your bulletins, that's the word, uh, there's a quote from, from N.T. Wright from his book, Surprised by Hope. It talks about these things. He says this, the point is this, when God saves people in this life by working through his spirit to bring them to faith and by leading them to follow Jesus in discipleship, prayer, holiness, hope, and love, such people are designed, it is not too strong a word, to be a sign and foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. What more, such people are not just to be a sign and foretaste of that ultimate salvation, they are to be a part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. So salvation is not designed to take us away from this earth, but to make us agents of transformation in the earth, to be the means by which the kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. The whole reason we are saved in the present is to play a vital role in God's mission to make his world right, to today fight injustice, heal pain, feed the poor, love people, serve those around us daily, bring shalom, love our enemies, and be a taste of the new heavens, new earth for our neighbors. These things have eternal significance. About eight, nine years ago now, uh, Lee and I were going through a really hard time. Uh, Lee was uh, very sick. Uh, we had just suffered from what I talked about earlier, um, several miscarriages. Uh, Lee was very ill. We did not know what was wrong with her. Um, it was kind of like an episode of The House for about two years, if you ever watched that show, where we just went to doctor to doctor to doctor trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and, and at the time, we were in Birmingham, living uh, you know, two or three hours away from our home uh, with all sorts of doctors and all sorts of specialists trying to figure things out. And it was just one of those times where we felt super lonely. Where was God? What is going on in our lives? And some friends of ours from Birmingham at the time uh, decided to invite us over for they said a little get-together. But what we didn't know is that little get-together that they were going to actually call all our friends in the area that knew us from college um, or from, from ministry to come to a party. 
And it wasn't necessarily for us, but it was a party so that we could find fellowship, that we could find, you know, peace, that to give, to bring some healing to our present situation. And, and always remember, because one of the things about these friends is they have, you know, a, a child with special needs, you know, in a wheelchair, and, and, and they understood a little bit of what we were going through and how we could feel lonely through the whole process uh, of being in, in and out of hospitals. And so they threw this for us, and I'll st always remember, like, walking in and seeing all our friends and, and seeing my kids who were young at the time, you know, running around uh, their daughter who was laughing as they were running around her wheelchair, you know, throwing up balloons and stuff, and, and just that feeling of joy. And that, that, that God actually is good. You know, and that's what I hope we feel, can feel in the church. It's what I hope my students feel in RUF. That, that in a world that can be broken and lonely, this sense of joy, of peace, of belonging, of inclusion. You know, and as great as that moment was in our lives, it was just a taste. Because when the real party begins... My friend's child will be walking and talking. Children, my friends, and Lee and I have lost will be there. Friends from all over the world will be there that we don't get to see. Friends that we've lost in our lives will be there. You know, awesome people we've never met from 300 years and 1,000 years ago will be there. And we will be feasting. And it will be more amazing and more real than anything that we experience now. And there will be no tears there'll be no shame, there'll be no insecurity, and we'll be with Jesus, and it'll be forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we come to your table and as we go out into the world, Lord, I pray that we will have this certain hope that you are coming back and you're making this world right, Lord. And I pray that, that for those, of, especially this morning, who are hurting, who are hurting because of illness, who are hurting because of the loss they've experienced, hurting because of things that have been done to them. Lord, I pray uh, that this hope, while not being able to heal everything today, Lord, that this hope will carry us through till the time you return and we see your face. I praise your name. Amen.